High school. How are we doing tonight? Can we give it up for that promo? That was pretty sweet, wasn't it? Can we give it up for Stal setting up this nice chill table over here? This is what we're talking about tonight. Hey, if I haven't got the chance to meet you yet, I was earlier running around with the squirt gun, squirting some people. Uh, I've been running around church here all day. My name is James Ricker, and uh, I get to serve you guys every week alongside Anna and Stallion and a bunch of other uh, crazy adults who love each and every one of you. Um, I just want to say real fast, thank you for coming tonight to Hawaiian night. You all look so good, each and every one of you. Um, and yeah, so this weekend felt pretty good, right? Yeah, can we get some participation? It felt so good. I mean, it was absolutely white girl fall for me. I sat on the couch with some coffee and a blanket. And you know what I did this weekend? I watched some spooky movies. Is anybody with me? Right? It's Spooktober. Does anybody in here like like Halloween movies or like like all the Halloween vibes? A good half of us. I love it. Um, I watched Monsters, Inc. Has anybody seen that one so far this year? It's so good. And then Hocus Pocus is on like every single night. And so um, I've learned to enjoy that movie. But Honestly, I think Halloween can sometimes get a bad rap um, because most people associate or a a lot of people associate Halloween with um, evil monsters and spirits and creepy stuff. Um, But I think there's another version of Halloween that a lot of us uh, cling to. And in my opinion, I see Halloween as the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Does anybody in here like that movie? Um, I associate Halloween with sitting on the couch with my boo thing, watching a spooky movie, drinking coffee or pumpkin spice, whatever, what have you. Um, But we tend to label things, right? There can be two different versions of Halloween. One family can be like, we're not doing Halloween. We don't believe in that. It's terrible. And then there's another family who's like, no, it's pretty chill. We just won't get into the creepy stuff. Um, But we tend to label things, and we put things in categories. And uh, one person's idea of a certain subject can be very different than another's, and we understand that. Um, it's kind of like how my wife, uh, she works at this uh, law firm, and every time that she, in- she talks about me, and I work at a church, um, when they go, Haley, what does your husband do? And usually, you know, it's just like the normal answers or whatever. Before I started working here at Mount Horeb, I had been leading worship for like five years. And so um, when she first started working at her job, they'd say, Haley, um, what does your husband do for work? And they'd be like, oh, he's a worship leader. He sings at church. And these people, um, they thought I was like an old man who wore robes and sang like, and like directed a choir and played the organ and stuff, right? Because people can, uh, can label things depending on how they see life. And so maybe you go to Mount Horb and you realize, oh, a worship leader is like a guy who wears skinny jeans and stands up and plays the guitar and rocks around. But their version at work was a worship leader was typically an old man or an old lady who um, directs the choir, which is nothing wrong with that. But they treated her completely different when they realized that I was that I worked at a church. Um, and so it's just kind of funny. It's like she's like, uh, no, he's like a normal dude. He's not crazy or anything like that. Um, but I'm talking about tonight this idea of, like, labeling and, and getting this mislabeling. Has anybody ever mislabeled you? Has anybody ever saw you doing something and said, hey, that's who you are, but in reality, that is not who you are? And see, in this series tonight, we're starting a new series called Jesus 
is. We're talking about the most influential man who ever lived who has turned the world upside down. And uh, as we talk about this most influential man ever, we realize that there are so many misconceptions about Jesus. And so that's why we're doing this series is to set the record straight and to talk about Jesus. See, the same way that my wife um, talked with her coworkers and they had this misconception about what a worship leader looked like or what somebody worked at church, the same way that we can have with Jesus. And like I said, there are a ton of misconceptions about Jesus. For instance, um, on the surface, number one, we can't actually guarantee that Jesus was born on December 25th, on Christmas Day, the one that we celebrate in our American holiday. Um, The other thing is that, in reality, Jesus probably wasn't a white guy with a righteous flow, and he probably wasn't really hippie. Um, In reality, he most likely had really darker skin, had short hair, and he was rugged. Um, But that is our misconception. Let's go even deeper, though. On a spiritual level, there are so many misconceptions about Jesus. See, a lot of people think of this Jesus as just a man who has done good things. Have you ever heard that before? It's like, oh, yeah, Jesus, I mean, he was good. He was just a man, and he did things, and people wrote about him. A lot of people think of Jesus as separate from God. They think he's a different God than the one in the Old Testament. Have you ever heard that or thought that too? Even Jesus' main people, his disciples, who rolled with him every day, had misconceptions about Jesus. So if you have ever had a misconception about Jesus, or if you've ever wondered or had a question about Jesus, you're in good company. Because the people that followed him around for three years, who were with him every day, still miss the point a lot of the times. And that's why we're excited about this series, because we're going to dive into all things Jesus. We're going to talk about how Jesus is God, how Jesus is truth, how Jesus is our friend, and how Jesus is our Savior. But tonight we're going to talk about how Jesus is God. But before we talk about that, we need to take a step back, because this God thing can be kind of a big, a big subject, right? What comes to mind when you think about God? What comes to your mind when you think about God? Because I can pretty much bet that not everybody in here is going to come to the same conclusion. And that's okay, and I'd say God's okay with that for now. Maybe you're in here tonight, and when you hear the word God, you think of this far distant thing that you're not good enough for. Maybe when you think about God, you think about... um, this being that's over us, but it's not really in our daily lives. Maybe you think about God and you love God. Maybe your family loves God and you you follow God. But over thousands and thousands of years, people's response to that thought, who is God, has shaped our history. I mean, you can literally study in your textbooks, in your history books, Um, that people's response to who they think God is completely has shaped our world. And good news tonight is that we have some good news in this thing called the Bible. Because when we want to learn about God, we need to go to the source. And our source for thousands and thousands of years has been God's Word, the Bible. And so we're going to do that tonight. 
And in God's word, it is the greatest story that has been ever told. It's a love story about God coming all the way down to earth because he loves his people. And see, in the ancient Near East, God had been interacting with a group of people we call the Israelites. And you study them, right, with Moses, and they go through the water, and um, it's this giant people group, and then they, they walk around the walls seven times. All these stories you hear about in the Old Testament. And it's this group of people that God keeps interacting with, but they keep having to make sacrifices, and they keep, God is this distant thing, and they keep having to clean themselves up, and they're just yearning, and they're waiting for this Christ to come. They don't know who it is yet. They don't know what he's going to look like, but they know that one day God is going to come and he's going to save us in the flesh. But they were yearning and they were tired, kind of like how many of us go to Carolina or Clemson game tailgates? Yeah, dude, I love tailgating. Um, It's kind of like how your legs feel after standing at that all day out in the sun yearning. Kind of like how my Carolina fans are yearning for a winning season for the first time in years. Oh, you didn't think I was going to get you there. But it's the same way. These Israelites were waiting, just like Carolina fans are waiting for a good winning season. They're like, when can we have a Savior come and change the game? Unlike the Gamecocks right now, there is hope for them. I believe it. In Jesus' name. Unlike the Gamecocks, in the most unlikely of events, Jesus steps onto the scene as recorded in the Gospels. And this is where we begin to read in the Bible about the, all the amazing things he did, all the wild stories he told, the sacrifice that he made for us so that we could ultimately put our faith in him and experience the salvation that this humanity has been longing for. If you can't tell already, this Jesus is pretty important. See, tonight we believe that Jesus is God. That Jesus is God. And that's really good news for us who think God is this far off, distant thing that has nothing to do with us. It's really good news for us tonight. We believe that Jesus is God. And tonight we're going to look at a time when Jesus reveals that he is God. And he's so swag, he doesn't even have to say it. He's way more smooth than that. Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles or on your phone to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Are we there? Swag. All right. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So Jesus returns to Capernaum. And many gathered, many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they laid down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 6 says, Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 8 says, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned him, they, they questioned within themselves, 
He says, why do you question these things in your hearts to these people? Verse 9 says, which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to this paralyzed man, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Verse 12, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and they glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Now, in that passage was a lot, and so I don't expect for you to completely grasp this whole thing right now, right off the bat. But what the situation is, is that Jesus is teaching. He, he returns to Capernaum, and Jesus is teaching to a group like a room full of people. It's completely packed out. It'd be like in here, except if everybody was shoulder to shoulder and nobody could come in. And this man who is paralyzed, uh, he, he has some friends who somehow believe they're crazy. They're like, if we can get this guy near Jesus, I bet something good will happen. And so they're like, they try to come in through the back doors, like right back through there, but it's completely packed. And so they're like, well, we can't get in through the doors. Why don't we go through the roof? And so you know these guys are absolutely insane. They, they dig a hole through the roof, and they lay the paralyzed man down through the roof, and Jesus sees this, obviously. I mean, if somebody were to come in through the roof, I think all of us would notice here tonight. And so Jesus sees the faith that his friends have drag, in, dragging this paralyzed man down. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus speaks with the authority of God in this moment. Jesus speaks with the authority of God. So he tells them that his sins are forgiven, but these religious people, these teachers, these scribes, the the passage shows, are questioning in their hearts. They're like, wait a minute, this guy's saying that this guy's sins are forgiven. And these scribes belong to this Israel group, the same group that felt like the Carolina fans that was like, oh my gosh, we're waiting for a savior, right? And so these people know everything about God. They learned the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. They know a lot about God. But when Jesus comes onto the scene, they're so confused because now you have this man forgiving sins and these people have grown up and they've, they've been groomed and they've learned over years that the only person who can forgive sins, I mean, sin is this crazy thing. You have to sacrifice a lamb. You have to sacrifice this. You have to go through this hoop and jump this hoop. And now this guy's standing up here and just saying your sins are forgiven. This guy is crazy. Not only is he crazy, he's blaspheming, and God is going to strike that man down. That is their mindset. And we can't blame him because that's how they were raised. But Jesus shows us because he speaks with the authority of God. He, he shows us Jesus comes not just to heal physically, but he also comes to heal spiritually from sin. Jesus comes not just to heal physically, but also spiritually from sin. Let's read this again. So they're questioning Jesus and they're saying, nobody can forgive sins except for God. And Jesus is kind of like giving him a wink, like, yeah, that's the point. This is what I'm doing. And he says this, 
which is easier, to say to the paralytic that your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, get up off your bed and, and walk? And then he says this, but that you may know that the Son of Man, he's talking of himself, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, rise, pick up your bed and go home. So Jesus is saying, to show you that I have the authority to forgive sins, to show you that I am God, go ahead and get up off your mat and walk. And so it's like one in the same. He shows this miracle, and it is absolutely insane. Because this is one of the first times we see recorded in Scripture that Jesus is speaking with the authority of God. And if you know anything about the New Testament, you realize that the more Jesus begins to do this, the more the religious people get really mad and try to fight him. And ultimately, we know what happens in the end. But Jesus speaks with the authority of God. There's another time when Jesus is showed when Jesus shows us his authority as God and he's in conversation with his disciples recorded in John chapter 14. So turn with me to John chapter 14 and it's verses 4 through 6. I'm going to flip there together. It's actually up on the screen. That is balling. So Jesus is talking with his disciples and they're asking him hey, where are we going to go? They're talking about heaven. They're talking about Jesus' father's house. And, um, and so they're asking these questions, and Jesus says this in verse 6. Jesus says, said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. I'll read that again. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. He's saying, don't miss the point. See, Jesus' disciples are asking him, hey, show us the face of God. That's the context that we're in. They're talking about God, and they're like, we just want to see God, Jesus, and that's all we're asked for. And Jesus is saying, you're missing the point. I'm right here. He says, look no further. Again and again, we see people in front of Jesus, even his own disciples, asking if he knows where God is or getting mad at him because he's acting like God. Over and over again, we see this theme pop up. And reading it nowadays is like funny because we have hindsight. We have 2020 vision looking backwards and we realize, oh my gosh, Jesus was right there. What would you do if you were right there with Jesus? But these people have no context and they have no clue because they have a preconceived notion of who they think God is. So then when God in the flesh actually shows up, they have no clue and they don't recognize him. And it's so true in our lives, too. So often in our lives, we miss God when he is right in front of us. How many times in our lives do we miss God when he's right in front of us? It's a beautiful irony. Honestly, it's because we would rather have a God that makes sense to us. 
We would rather have a God that handles things the way that humans handle things. With power, with force, with manipulation, with fear. We'd rather have that God than the God who actually shows up and is serving right in front of us. And so for those of us who have grown up and go, God is this far off distant thing. God has nothing to do with me. Jesus comes to show us that that is what God looks like. It reminds me of this episode of SpongeBob. Yeah. How many of us have grown up watching SpongeBob? How many of us were growing up not allowed to watch SpongeBob? You guys are so good. You're going to be so smart. Your brains aren't ruined. Mine is already ruined from watching it. My wife is one of those people who was, was not allowed to watch SpongeBob, and she is so much smarter than me, and she is just very successful, graduated college in three years, and I promise it's because she didn't watch the Yellow Sponge growing up. But if you did watch SpongeBob like me growing up, you'll remember that there's this episode where SpongeBob and Patrick are trying to rent out a restaurant, and they need to raise money. And so what do they do when they need to raise money? They sell they sell chocolate. Yeah, that's right. And if you remember anything about this episode, if not, you're going to be welcome to SpongeBob tonight. You're welcome for showing that at church. But in the beginning of this episode, they meet this guy who seems to be absolutely insane. They, they knock on the first door. They're just trying to sell some chocolate to make some money, right? And this guy looks at him and he's like, chocolate, chocolate, cho-. yeah. And he's going crazy. And he starts chasing after them, and they run away. Can you blame them? No. I mean, I would not want to sell chocolate to somebody that's yelling absolutely in my face. So SpongeBob and Patrick are running away. And it, they seem to do that throughout the entire episode. But if you've seen the episode, you know that that guy isn't so crazy after all. In fact, let's just take a look on the screen here tonight. Can we get a hand for SpongeBob and Patrick tonight? Amen. Never thought that we would watch SpongeBob at church, but you're welcome. Let's get super real, though. I hope you see the parallel that I'm making. How many of us treat God the same way that SpongeBob and Patrick treated this chocolate man? The guys in these Bible verses that we read sure did. The people that were with Jesus day and night seem to miss the point so many times. See, we think that God is angry at us. Or that he is far from us. We think that we can actually be far from God when he created this whole thing. We think that God isn't involved with our current situations. When in reality, Jesus steps onto the scene and shows us that God is a lot more like this guy running after SpongeBob and Patrick. 
than he is a far-off, distant being. God looks a lot more like this fish running down SpongeBob and Patrick, paying for all of their chocolate, than he does this far-off, distant thing that wants nothing to do with us. See, Jesus is constantly inviting us to spend time with him. He's inviting us to love people the way that he does. And guess what we do? We ignore him. We would rather worship ourselves or money or popularity. But Jesus still invites us in. We would rather handle this life all on our own. I know I do this so many times. I would rather just handle things on my own and be so much easier. We say, we say, no, God, I got into this mess, and I'm going to get myself out of it, and then I'll come to you. Or we'll say, God, there's nothing that can make my situation better. We'll lose hope. But Jesus is right there saying, I will pay the price. Jesus is saying, I will pay your price. I will buy all of your chocolate. Whatever it is that you've stacked up and carried, chocolate could be sin, chocolate could be shame, chocolate could be secrets that you're holding, everything that you're holding and you're trying to carry it all and you're running away. We have a God who looks like Jesus who is running right after us. And all we have to do is turn around and he is right there to pay for everything. Because that's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God that loves us. See, Jesus, he paid the price to get our attention. Jesus paid the price for our salvation. Jesus paid the price for our misunderstandings. Jesus paid the price for our wrong, for our sin, for our pain, and for our struggles. And he is always running us down, offering us himself, even when we straight up deny him. Jesus is always... Offering up himself, especially when we deny him. He's always inviting us to follow him. See, this God that created the universe, that literally spun in motion everything. He was all right with being misunderstood. He was all right with being mistreated, mocked, beaten, hung on a cross, and killed. So that you and me could finally have the chance to have a relationship with him. And this Jesus we read of tonight straight up dies. The Bible says that he gave up his very life. And then three days later, he rose from the dead because this Jesus we speak of tonight is God. This Jesus comes to show us that God is not far from us, that he is not angry at us, that you're not too far gone for his love. This Jesus was chill with you not understanding everything. This Jesus wasn't waiting on you to get your act together before you could finally come to him. No, he's chasing you down because he paid the price for you. And why, you might ask? Why does this God have any business dealing with a bunch of goobers like us, you ask? Don't you see? Jesus, if Jesus is God then that means that God is saying, you are worth it. You are worth it. 
Hear this from me tonight. If you don't hear anything else, you are worth it. You are worth a God who created everything, coming down to earth and living with us, dying on a cross, resurrecting to extend his grace to all of us so that we could have a relationship with him. He sacrificed himself for you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. So how do we respond to this God? Because I hope you see that it's a very different God than maybe one that you've grown up with or maybe one that your friends have grown up with. Because he's not far. He's actually very, very close. Oftentimes, he's right in front of our face, but we miss it. But the good news tonight is that he's always offering himself. And tonight we have a chance to respond. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 16. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he asks them this question. It's such an important question. Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 16. He says, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Verse 14 says, And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So he's asking, Who are people saying that I am? And they're saying, Oh, he's probably just a prophet. Oh, he's just somebody we read about back in the day. But then Jesus asked this question and it changes everything. Verse 15 says, He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's our question tonight. Jesus is asking, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Jesus shows us that he is God, but he loves you enough even if you aren't there yet to believe it. See, he could just sit up in the heavens alone and wait for us to get our act together, but he didn't. He came down to show you what kind of God he is. He won't stop, and there's nothing that you can do to outrun his love for you, for me, and for all of us in this room tonight. Who do you say that Jesus is? And notice when I ask this question, it's not, who does your mom say that Jesus is? Who does your best friend say Jesus is? Who does your dad say Jesus is? Who does your youth pastor say Jesus is? Who does your volunteer, your small group leader? No, this is personal because Jesus is inviting you, each and every one of us in here tonight, to respond. He's asking us, who do you say that I am? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for tonight, for this amazing Hawaiian night full of Hawaiian punch and photo booths and just everything awesome. But ultimately, God, we are so thankful that you came to set the record straight, that you're not about hating us. You're not about being far from us. You came to silence the misconceptions about you through your son, Jesus, because you paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. And so God, 
we want to respond to that tonight. We want to respond to you. And if there's anybody in this room tonight who has had a misconception about God and who's realized that God looks a lot more like Jesus than whatever else I thought he did, and you want to respond to that and you want to say that Jesus is God, and he's not just God of my friends or my family, but he is my God, he is my Savior, and you want to accept that tonight, then I want to invite you to raise your hand with every head bowed and not every eye closed. Amen. You can put your hands down. If any of us in here are realizing tonight that, that Jesus is our God, that we are responding to his free gift of salvation, then I want to invite you to talk to a leader tonight after the message because we want to help you in that journey of following Jesus. For the rest of us in the room tonight, I pray that because Jesus is God, you feel the freedom to come to him freely. To stop carrying all of your chocolates, all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your secrets, all of your addictions. To stop running from him tonight, to let it go and turn around and see that he's following you right where you're at. Jesus, again, we love you and we respond with worship. And everybody said, amen. Hey, let's stand together and let's sing.